So in starting the series, um, I'm doing something a little bit different, but I, I really felt like it was important to to give background, um, to kind of set the stage and let you know the who, what, when, where, whys, and, and hows, thank you, uh, of what we're doing. So First uh, Timothy, the author is Paul, the date. So when we talk about you know the date, let's keep something in mind. So uh, most people agree this was written around 63 or 64 AD. So basically, this was about 30 years after Jesus. So in, in terms of where we are, 30 years ago, 1982. So, you know, it's, you know, it, we're not talking about, you know, a century after Jesus. We're just talking about a few decades. Let's see here. Paul had visited Ephesus in 63 AD following his release from his first Roman imprisonment. Soon after he left, Paul had placed Timothy in charge of the Ephesian church. So this is this is a letter to Timothy whom Paul had put in charge of the church at Ephesus encouraging him. The setting, Ephesus. Along with Rome, Antioch, Corinth, and Alexandria, Ephesus was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. It was a center of commerce and politics and religion, uh, and it was just a major city in Asia Minor. It was also the location of the temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, the god of fertility. So here we see a picture, uh, uh, an artist's rendering of what the temple of Artemis looked like. The temple of Artemis is known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge and elaborate and beautiful. So when you think about the hanging gardens of Babylon and the pyramids, this was also considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Here are some of the defining traits of Artemis. Okay, You see this temple dedicated to the goddess Artemis, so let's find out a little bit more about Artemis. These were the defining traits of Artemis. Artemis hated men. She never married and she never had any children. She opposed marriage and because of this, she was known as the eternal virgin. We see right away there's a conflict with, uh, with what we believe and, and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. She was envisioned in the classical era as a huntress, a huntress wearing a short tunic such as a man would wear. It covered part of her chest with a quiver of arrows slung over one shoulder carrying a bow. She was thought to have inflicted pain on women in the act of childbirth. And she was thought to be responsible for the deaths of women as they were giving birth. So many women died in this way they say anywhere between a third and half the women in this time died, in, died giving birth. So many died in this way that Artemis was feared as vindictive of women who had children. There's this quote about the temple of Artemis. I have seen the walls and hanging gardens of ancient Babylon, wrote Philon of Byzanium. The statue of the Olympian Zeus the Colossus of Rhodes, the mighty work of the high pyramids and the tomb of Mausolus. But when I saw the temple at Ephesus rising to the clouds, 
all these other wonders were put in the shade. This is what was written by a contemporary who saw these things and says the temple at Artemis put them all to shame. The temple of Artemis was in Ephesus where Paul had assigned Timothy, this young man, to be pastor. It's important to, to kind of camp on this for a second and also to bring something up. The temple of Artemis was destroyed, burned down, attacked, and then rebuilt four times. This city and this area was so committed to this goddess, this false goddess, that even though it would get tore down, they'd rebuild it. And each time they would rebuild it, they'd rebuild it more magnificent than the previous time. Keeping that in mind, the primary purpose of this letter that Paul writes to Timothy is dealing with false doctrine that has come against the church. False doctrine, and a lot of it had to do with superstitions and myths and elaborations that had come into the church. When, when we read First Timothy and when we see some of the things that the Lord has established as far as guidelines on, on how we do things in the church, um, it's not going to be today, but, but here in coming weeks, we're going to see instruction that Paul gives about, about women in the course of the church service. I want us to keep in mind that Paul's not speaking to the church at Erie, Colorado and our wonderful women. We're talking about the city of Ephesus and uh, just the idolatry that's taken place in the way that this false god has been worshipped and feared and the way that we'll see this influence reaches the church. So I'm excited to, to share on those things. They just won't be tonight. This letter is not only guiding Timothy through through pastoral responsibilities and pastoral instruction. The books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy have been so instrumental and crucial and vital in, in giving advice and correction and training and equipping for pastors for the history of the church. When we read this, this personal letter and this handbook, we're going to see three themes that are just prevailing. Number one, the removal of false doctrine. Number two, the preservation of public worship. And number three, proper leadership in the church. From this book of 1 Timothy, we're going to see the establishment of of things, of guidelines and rules and requirements for godly leaders and specifically elders, bishops, pastors, overseers. Those words are used interchangeably. So when we read about an elder, that elder, pastor, overseer, one who oversees God's church, we're going to see the establishment of the requirements of discipline, doctrine, and direction. These are things that elders, pastors walk in. We're going to see that from this book. In this letter, 
Paul told Timothy how to combat false teachers, how to order the church's worship, how to choose church leaders, how to carefully deal with different classes in the church. And then all the while, Paul still makes this a personal letter of encouragement to Timothy to encourage him that, hey, you are called, you are needed, you can do it. Let's go, champ. So here's my encouragement to us, you know, to to you guys, my friends, to Impact Rock. If at all possible, you know, be here during this series. If you miss a week and, and I understand things happen, go online and listen to it, but stay current because this this is going to be an important series that we're preaching. So um, that's my encouragement slash challenge to everybody. And if everyone receives it, say, I do. And we are now married, so let's let's go ahead and start preaching. The removal of false doctrine. The primary theme of the removal of false doctrine to the church. We see before Paul even writes this letter, even before this letter, 1 Timothy is written, Paul has already warned Timothy in the book of Acts to, to be aware of false teaching in Ephesus. Acts 20, 17 and 18 says this. <clears throat> From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. So we see that, call, that Paul has called to him the elders of, of uh, Ephesus. So we're going to drop down to verse 28. So Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. This is Paul's warning. Whatever was going on in Ephesus, and you got to figure, as the church is being developed and the church is being raised up, you know, it's much like, you know, a baby or a child. You know, you see the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, you deal with the stinky diapers, but you also deal with all the, the joys of, of the wonderful things that come, the, the smiles and the laughter and, and speaking and growing. But Paul's purpose for, out of Acts 20, his purpose in bringing calling forth the elders at Ephesus was to warn them, saying, be on your guard. Be on your guard. As soon as I leave, I know what's going to happen. The minute I leave, false teachers are going to rise up from among you. And, and it's going to be to devour and to scatter the flock. So be aware, okay? This is an important thing to note because now we see Paul writing a letter once again to Timothy. And the first topic he deals with is what? This exact topic, false doctrine. So let's read from 1 Timothy 1. Uh, let's just go ahead and read 1 through 7. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. The first theme that we see is the first thing that Paul deals with. In verses 1 and 2, I want to bring something to your attention. Uh, It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Father and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The greeting that Paul gives, grace, mercy, and peace, from, the, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to point something out to you. I found this very cool. You can look it up. In all the other letters that Paul writes to the church, his greeting is grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. But in the letters written, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, known as the pastoral letters, his greeting is grace, peace, and mercy. All the other letters, it's grace and peace. This one is grace, peace, and mercy. And I have a theory on that, that it's because pastors need more mercy than the average man. And so Paul's like, um, mercy. <laughs> mercy. Um, you're going to need it, my brother, so I'm not just praying uh, grace and peace, but also mercy. But I, I joke, but I'm I'm actually serious. I really believe that... I mean, why else would he flip up the script? Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Grace, peace, and mercy. Second letter to Timothy. Great Grace, peace, and more mercy. Letter to Titus. Mercy. To complete and to carry out the, the work of the Lord, ministers need mercy. I... I Hey, I'll take all the mercy I can get as lead pastor of this church. We'll we'll take it not only from the Lord but also from people. It's so I believe that that's the reason that Paul includes that. First Timothy, verse three. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. I love that after the greeting, Paul gets right to it. 
after the greeting of, of mercy, grace, peace, to Timothy, he gets straight to the point. There's a command that you're going to have to give. Paul, being an apostle, he starts off his letter with the Paul, an apostle. It was well within Paul's rights and responsibilities as an apostle that he could have worded this a little bit, little bit different. He could have been like, Timothy, I command you to stay in Ephesus to do this work. It could have been it could have been that strong. Timothy has yielded his life to the work of the kingdom to serve the Lord. He's submitted to Paul's authority as an apostle. But I love the fact that even in, in the midst of Paul knowing who he is in the Lord, that what are his words? I urge you. I beseech you to stay in Ephesus. To stay in Ephesus. The only reason that Paul would give this encouragement to him is because Timothy wanted to go with him. And sure, why wouldn't he want to go with him? Okay, so Paul, you you want me to stay here in Ephesus with this, you know, kind of jacked up church, doing some jacked up things. I want to go with you. I want to travel. I want to let's go take the word, you know, the word of God to the to the nations, to the world. Paul's like, no. You need it here. You are needed here. I urge you to stay here. Once again, keeping in mind that Timothy is is a young pastor. Now, you know what is young? Um, from and I, I don't I don't know the answer. You know exactly, but most people think that Timothy was right around forty. I'm forty two, so guess what? That makes me young. So that's right. So they think that that in, during this time Timothy was about forty because they believe that when Paul first came in um, and ministered to Timothy's mother and to his grandmother, um, that at that point, Timothy was impressive. At that point, Timothy was, wow, this this young guy, is, he's impressive. And they believe that he was a teenager at that point, around 15. So um, this is a young man being given the major responsibility of being a pastor of this large, flourishing political, religious hub in Asia Minor. But Paul drives home the point, you are needed. I urge you to stay. I need you in Ephesus. I need you to bring some discipline to some teachers who have added to and taken away from the gospel. I need you to reestablish doctrine Reminding the church that the Word of God is enough. That it doesn't have to be spiced up. It doesn't have to be made more palatable or more glamorous. That the Word is enough. I need you to point this church in the right direction in regards to how they've been missing the mark. I do wonder what Timothy's response would have been if Paul's words would have been face-to-face instead of a letter. Do I have a choice in this? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know. maybe he would have been like, Paul, I'm up for it. But Paul wisely wrote a letter. And Timothy 
obediently and faithfully led this church. So what false doctrine was being taught? For our sake, I'm not certain that it really matters. Except we know that it definitely had to do with earning God's approval outside of faith. Was it through works? Was it through, you know, whatever it was? We, we see that in the scripture that it was outside of faith trying to earn God's approval, trying to earn salvation, trying to do something in addition to the work of Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't do anything in addition to the work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing to add to and take away from outside the work of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus was enough. When he said it is finished, he, you know what he meant? Do you know what he meant? It is finished. He meant it's done. It's enough. I've done it all. In leading God's church. You know what we do at Impact Rock here? We point people to Jesus and we we read the word and that's enough. The word of God is enough. The work of Jesus Christ is enough. The message of the gospel is enough. We don't have to make excuses for it. We don't have to make apologies for it. We don't... Hey, here's, here's truth. And you know what? This is going to set you free. Even if it stings a little, hey, for the price of freedom, that's okay if it stings a little, right? The truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth. In teaching and preaching the Word of God, we are not only charged to preach the true doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we are charged to preach no other gospel, no other doctrine except the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we preach the gospel and nothing else. Because what else is there? Paul said this, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Advancing God's work, which is by faith. The work of God and the advancement of it is done by faith. It is done by faith. I want to read uh, verses 5 through 7 again. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. The goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is love. The goal of what command? The goal of what command? What is what is Paul talking about? The goal of what command? We saw just a couple of verses earlier. The command that Paul gave saying, you're going to have to correct them. I'm giving you this command. You're going to have to correct them. You're going to have to rebuke. There's going to have to be discipline. You're going to have to remove the false teaching. It can't stay. 
the false teaching's got to go, which means some of the false teachers got to go. That's the command. That's the command. But what's Paul saying here? The goal of this command is what? Love. The goal of this command is love. I know you're bringing a hard word. I know it's not going to sit well. I know it's not going to be easy for you. I know it's going to be difficult. Perhaps the most difficult thing you've done. Not only am I sending you into this place, but the first task you got, Pastor Timmy of Ephesus, is discipline. Not a baby dedication, which is wonderful. Not a baptism service, which is amazing. Not discipline. But here's the thing. The goal of it is love. And how are we to do it? from a pure heart a good conscience and a sincere faith I find this I find this interesting I, I, I do and I'm not going to soapbox and I'm not going to get on a rabbit trail but when you talk about first Timothy first Timothy and the doctrines that come forth about the direction for worship and especially the roles that women play in worship. When you talk to certain people, the very last thing that they will convey this message with is love. The last thing that they'll mention this with is in a heart of love. There's a harshness to it. Now, I refuse to argue with another with another believer over over doctrine, I just I don't see a point in it. I, I don't believe it ever leads to changing their opinion. Now I'll talk, but the minute it starts argument, I'm done. God God bless you, brother, but am I really going to sway you even if I if I tell you my thoughts on this? Because I'm you know I doubt I am. So let's just not argue. Paul's whole admonition on dealing with false teaching was. The goal of this is love. Do it with sincerity. Do it with a sincere love. Do it with with faith. Do it believing that God's in control. That's what that means. When he talks about doing it in faith, a sincere faith. When we do the difficult things or we have the difficult discussions or We do so with faith that God is in control. That God's in control. We're yielded to Him. We're submitted to Him. Now, as we go through this series, there's one position I will not take. And that's not the position of expert. I'm not an expert. I'm a graphic designer, for crying out loud. I am. That's what my degree in college is, graphic design. I'm not a theologian and I'm not an expert. And so I will not stand up here and have the stance of being an expert. That's not who I am. We talk about designing a good business card. I'm the expert. So what am I doing up here? Because I love Jesus. I, I'm passionate. I'm called. And so I operate and I work in these things. People have asked me before, oh, what, what seminary did you go to? And normally when someone asks you what seminary <laughs> you go to, it's because, you know, I don't know. Most of the time I'm like, oh, 
I didn't go to any, but now my response, here's my response. Oh, I went to the same seminary that Peter went to. It was awesome. (laughs) The things we do, the things we teach, when we point you to Jesus, I'm not going to make a definitive statement if it's not backed up in the Word of God. I'll kind of point some things together, and in the end we'll point you to Jesus, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth pertaining to Jesus Christ. But I'm not going to stand up here and make a stance that I'm something other than I'm not. I'm not. I'm a man that loves Jesus. And I'm a man that loves spending time in His Word. And He's so faithful because He speaks to us through His Word. And He guides us. These verses that we read, what is Paul saying? Saying, Timmy, I'm so proud of you. I so believe in you you've got some hard work to do. I'm sending you into a difficult situation, but I believe in you. You might not feel ready. You might not feel equipped. You might not feel up to the task, but you're needed. You are needed. I need you. God needs you. God has sent you. You're the man for the job. But going in, you're going into a group of people in this church that have forgotten the ways I want things done. I want them done with a sincere faith. I want them done with love. I don't want the gospel being added to or taken away. It's the gospel. It it stands on its own. So you can do this. We see Paul's encouragement at the beginning. We see it in the middle. We see it at the end. You can do it. You can do it. Even if you don't feel up to it, you can do it. As we do the things of the Lord, it's just something that we have to just keep in the forefront. We do it His way. We do it His way. I I don't care what that task is. We do it His way. The Bible should never be used to thump anyone. The Bible should never be used as a means of assault on anyone. It should never be swung at anyone. We swing the sword of the Spirit against an enemy that's in the spiritual realm, not against one another. When we do the work of the Lord, we do so with love. Well, that sounds awfully weak. No, not really. Not when you look at the example we had of Jesus Christ. There was nothing weak about Him. And there was nothing weak about what he did. Serving in love. There's nothing weak about it. Trusting God to go, okay, Lord, my my faith in you is sincere. But that's with me being vulnerable going, "I, I don't know that I'm up to the task, but Lord, I will look to you and I will believe you that you know what you're doing in sending me. God has tasks for each one of us in this place. God has callings for you in your schools, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, where we shop. You might not feel up to the task, 
you might not think you're qualified. You might think you're too young. You might think you're too old. You might think you're too this or that. God doesn't. Whatever reason you've disqualified yourself from doing his work, God disagrees with you. He says, no, I know who you are. And I want to use you. I, I need you. You are needed. I know you want to run, but you are needed here. I know you just want to run screaming, but you are needed here. I didn't make a mistake when I placed you there. You are needed there. Friends, that's why it's so important that we look to Jesus. We don't look to ourselves because when we look to ourselves, we will never measure up. We will immediately see our flaws and weakness. They're obvious to us, right? We look in the mirror. We know what our flaws and weaknesses are. When we take inventory, we know what they are. That's why we look to Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus reminds me who we really are, who sees us, who he sees us as being. The purpose and the destiny that's upon our life, that's what he sees. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. You can do it. Oh, man, you're going to be so good at it. You're going to be so awesome at it. You're going to stumble here and there. You can make your share of mistakes, but I'll, trust me, I'll, I'll use it all. I'll use it all. As we go through this book, we look to Jesus. As we go through these letters, we look to Jesus. As he gives us correction and instruction and training, we look to Jesus. We trust him. I'm excited about this series because I believe it's absolutely what God wants us preaching right now. It is absolutely what he wants us being equipped with right now. When we talk about equipped, we're not just talking about me or a select group of people. We're talking about us as a church being equipped because we have been called. 